Good day to all of our investors and guests. This is the Rudd Commentary Podcast, and I'm your host, Josh Rudd. I'm the managing partner here at Steer Wealth, and behind the controls today is Caitlin. Good morning, Caitlin. Good morning, Josh. For our new listeners who may not be familiar with who we are, at Steer Wealth, we manage investments for successful families, high-performing professionals, and organizations across the country, and become your very own proactive investment management team, confidant, and personal wealth advisor, so you can relax and focus your time and energy on what's important to you. First, I would like to welcome everybody into 2024. I'm always so excited to begin a new year, and this year is no exception. I'm so thankful to live in a country where anyone willing to put in hard work and time can build an incredible life for themselves and their family. For our first podcast of 2024, I'd like to help our listeners focus on their own financial goals and objectives for the new year. This is a time where we are probably well-rested and maybe eager, hopefully, to start the new year with some energy. Well, what do you think, Caitlin? Let's buckle up and uh, capture the energy and start the new year with a bang. What do you think? I'm ready, Josh. First, how should we approach our financial goals and objectives? I mean, we just want more money, right? Pretty much seems like that's everybody's goal, just to increase their net worth, have good investment returns, and just put a little more in the piggy bank. Like a lot of goals, we just visualize a result and then start pushing for a few weeks and then a lot of us give up. For example, use physical health. Many of us want to be in better physical health, but we struggle getting there. Why do you think that is? Well, to start, maintaining good physical and mental health requires exercising, which requires our time, hard work, and you know what? It also makes us feel uncomfortable. In addition, we need to avoid many of those temptations that actually deviate us from our plan. In the case of diet, we feel we don't have the time to stick to our plan or we may feel that we deserve something extra. I know that's a lot of the case for me, especially when Caitlin makes really good uh, gingerbread or sugar cookies and brings them to the office. These, of course, are the choices that separate those that are successful from those that are not. And I'm not saying you can't enjoy a, a cookie or a deviation every once in a while, but really, as we'll talk about later, it's creating those habits that are absolutely important. And accomplishing financial goals is really no different. Most of us know the basics of what we need to do, right? I mean, we spend less, save more, invest. And we may even make the initial choice to do that. Why do so many of us fall behind financially or have a really hard time keeping that momentum? It's, uh, it's really tough. So that's what I want to talk about today. Before we jump to the end and we look at ourselves in perfect financial or physical condition, we need to set some goals. So how do we do that? So many of you may know, and what I share with my students in class over here at TCU is goals need to be smart. So there's a smart framework for setting goals. And some of us have different acronyms that we use for the smart framework. I'm going to give you mine. So first off, goals need to be specific. So the essence SMART stands for specific. So in order to make those goals specific, what do we need to do? So instead of saying, I want to retire early or I want to retire comfortably, we need to have a date. I want to retire by age 62. I want to retire by age 65. I want to retire by the time I can get full Social Security. And the most important thing that I've found as well, most of us can wrap our head around the age that we want to retire. We need to be specific with the lifestyle that we want to leave during retirement. For example, most of us benchmark onto a certain dollar amount per month. Some of us do per week, but it's more common to say that I'd like to be able to spend $8,000 a month in today's dollars or whatever my current spending is, assuming my mortgage payment's paid off and the kids are off the payroll, right? So with specific, just remember an age or a date 
And it's helpful to have a dollar amount per month that you want to spend. It's also nice to say, I want to be debt-free and a few other things that are more specific. Measurable. The second thing that if you talk to a lot of goal-setting experts they'll talk about is that the goal needs to be measurable. One of the great things in the financial planning world is that we use money to measure success, and so it's measurable. So that's usually not a problem. Now, for the A in the SMART goal framework, there's several different A's out there. The one that I like is action-oriented. Action-oriented means whose job is it to do what? And yes, uh, for our listeners, that means you. The R in SMART stands for realistic. If you're 55 years old and you're coming into the office of a wealth advisor such as Steer Wealth, and you want to start planning for retirement and you haven't saved anything thus far, that's probably not realistic to say, I want to have $2 million in the next 10 years when you're making $100,000, $150,000 a year. So that's an example just on realistic. Goals need to be realistic. I can tell you from personal experience and from counseling hundreds of families that unrealistic goals are very counterproductive. They lead to a lot of frustration. And really, that's part of the reason that a lot of folks end up giving up on a lot of goals six weeks into the New Year's. We definitely don't want to do that. So let's make sure those goals are realistic. The last is time-based. Not only a final date that we want to achieve our goals, such as age 65, age 67, when we claim Social Security, but also time-based in terms of progress. It's extremely important for us to review our progress on a regular basis. A workout program might require weekly updates. A financial program may require quarterly or annual updates. But it's extremely important to measure our success over time. And another reason is, folks, it just makes you feel good. If you can see progress over time, you're less likely to get discouraged, and it gets you excited about those goals and helps you find your flow, which we'll talk about later. So I would encourage everybody to use that SMART framework. It's something that, uh, as I said, I mentioned to our students that are working on their undergraduate degrees. That concept is new to a lot of them. It's probably not new to our listeners but just to bring you back to basics and to review those goals when you're looking at all those objectives that you want to achieve in 2024. Now let's move on. So we've got our framework, right? We've got some goals. We want to retire by X date. We want to, you know, hit our uh, our net worth bogey, you know, whatever that is, $2 million, $5 million that's important for us. So how do we do that? So I want to give our listeners some quick steps on how to go about achieving those goals that we've set up through that SMART framework. So let's talk a little bit about this. When we work with our clients, the first thing, especially with a new family that I like to do, is I like to recommend that we do a self-evaluation. Not just a risk tolerance questionnaire, not just filling out an information sheet. We also do an investment policy statement. There's many other steps that we go through in this process, but it's important for you as an individual to really evaluate yourself. And how do we evaluate ourselves? Well, way back in school, we might have learned about the SWOT analysis. And for those of you that don't remember, just the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Write down what your personal strengths are, write down what your personal weaknesses are, and then go into the environment and take a look at opportunities and threats. We'll get to those a little bit more in just a minute. The second is, we've got to decide to make a change. And that's not just sitting on our couch, watching an infomercial, saying, you know what, I'm going to start a workout program. We really need to think about why, what's important to us, what we want to accomplish, and really what's going to motivate us through the process. So deciding to make that change is extremely important. And I always advise for you to tell others, if you've got a spouse, a close friend, 
uh, coworkers, it always helps to keep you accountable if you let others know and, and you don't keep that a secret. I don't know about you, but if I'm telling my wife I'm on a workout program and I'm going to lose weight, you know, she's definitely a motivating factor at, uh, at helping me make the decision to, to stay on that habit. Uh, the third thing we want to do is we definitely want to build a simple and achievable plan that works for your current situation. Now, we just went through that SWOT analysis, right? So we know what our strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats are. And to build that plan that works with our current rhythm of our life, our current work schedule, because if we don't, we're just going to get discouraged. If we schedule our workouts at five in the morning when we need to be to work at, at six o'clock, we're just going to set ourselves up for failure. So thinking through and building a simple plan that works with that SWOT analysis and the rhythm of our life is extremely important. So what do you think next is? Just to commit and make that plan a habit. I'm really big on habits. Habits turn into an automated process. It's just like getting up every morning and asking your kids or grandchildren to make their bed every day. That simple habit that develops over time teaches them productivity, organization, cleanliness, and, and just an overall professional approach to life. Hey, I've got a clean bed. I'm leaving my room uh, in an organized and in a professional way before I greet the day. And it just helps clear their brain. Those habits are extremely important. That's why I love 401ks. I love investment plans that are automatic. And we'll talk about that a little more in just a little bit. Preparing for your weaknesses is next. In order for us to have a successful plan, we definitely want to look out for those threats. And we want to be prepared for those. We don't want to be caught flat-footed because when we're caught flat-footed and we're met with a challenge that we're not prepared for, we can end up doing some pretty stupid things. So we'll talk about that a little bit too. I really want us to get excited about monitoring our success and really seeing the fruits of our labor. It's really important for us to learn about what we're doing and to get excited about it. That's going to keep us engaged. The last thing I want to mention is to have an accountability partner. It's extremely important when you have plans. Uh, this isn't just the person you're telling about it, your coworkers, but to actually have that confidant that you can um, share your progress with, get some feedback from, or share your failures with. Somebody that's going to give you candid feedback and help you measure your success and help you get past those challenges when you encounter them. So that's what I'd like to do today is, is just to use this framework to set some achievable goals and to help you encounter the challenges that lie ahead. As we begin, let's break our listeners up into three distinct groups or financial stages based on their age. The first is the growth stage, and we're going to group everybody under the age of 55 into this group. Now, why do we do that? Really, just the point is, is that investors that are under the age of 55 probably have more than 10 years for their money to compound to retirement. So that puts them in a completely different category. They've got time for the compounding, the, the wonderful credible benefits of the time value money to take effect. They will also likely experience one to two recessions in the remainder of their working career, which gives them more than just one business cycle to go through. So that's a pretty big deal. So we're going to put everybody under the age of 55 in growth stage. Now, of course, you may or may not be in growth investments depending on your risk tolerance. However, you should be leaning towards more growth investments rather than interest-bearing investments if you are at least at an average level of risk tolerance in that stage. The next stage, I'm going to call the contribution stage. 
This is everybody from age 55 through their retirement. Now, I don't have an age on that retirement. That retirement could be at 65, which is pretty common. It could be at 67, which is in most cases uh, full retirement age and Social Security now. It could be age 70 or 75. But the point is the individuals from age 55 to retirement encounter very unique challenges because they don't have the time value of money during that accumulation phase while they're working in their corner. That time is getting shorter and shorter and shorter before they move from the important paycheck to the distribution or dividend check. The third group is called the income stage, and as you can probably guess, is for individuals that are already in retirement. This is defined by an individual that is in retirement that has already made that transition, does not have any earned income, but is instead receiving the income off of many years of investment and decades of working. So I want to just uh, review that again. Growth stage individual less than 55, contribution stage individuals from 55 to retirement and income stage are the individuals that are in retirement. So let's take a look at each one of those categories in that framework in light of these three stages, which I think will really help. So step one, if you can remember, was self-evaluation and setting up your goals. And the question I would ask each one of these stages is, are you where you want to be financially? So before we get into separating these stages, I want to give you a quick framework. A lot of folks ask me, hey, I need to know where I am. How am I doing when I first meet an individual? And this individual could be 35. This individual could be 45, 55 in each one of these stages. I first read about this formula in the book, uh, an outstanding book called The Millionaire Next Door by Thomas Stanley. It's, it's, I believe it's over 20 years now. Uh, it's a great read and it's still very relevant today uh, if any of you would like to uh, pick that up and read that. But basically take your annual income, multiply that by your age, and divide it by 10. And that's about where Thomas Stanley, and I completely agree with him, uh, said is a good benchmark of where your investable net worth should be at that point in your life. Now, investable net worth, to remind those of you who don't know, investable net worth is your net worth, so all your assets minus your liabilities, not including your house. So for example, let's say I'm 35 years old. I'm making $100,000 a year, okay? So that's going to be $3.5 million divided by 10, would be $350,000. So my investable net worth, if I'm making $100,000 a year at age 35, should be about $350,000. Now, as you can probably do real quick in your head, the more you're making annually and the older you get, the wonderful thing about this formula is it automatically pushes that net worth requirement up. So you can get a pretty good idea where you are and how you're saving by calculating this quick formula based on your age and annual income. A word of warning, this doesn't work as well for individuals in their 20s. It penalizes them heavily. They haven't had time to really start building net worth, but they should be on their way. And a lot of individuals in their 20s have a negative net worth. They really haven't saved anything, which is definitely not a good place to be. But as you get into your 30s, your late 20s and into your 30s, this formula should be pretty accurate as a, a good number to aspire to that you're working towards year after year. And if you do this calculation and you find out that you're not there, 
don't beat yourself up about it. It's not going to be something that you're going to be able to achieve in a year, but it should be something that you're trying to achieve on your long-term plan. Before we move on to the planning itself, as you probably guessed, this formula really is only applicable to those in growth and their contribution stages for investors. Those that are already retired, not as important because you're focusing more on income. Uh, great formula to have, but if you don't have any earned income, this formula is not going to do you a whole lot of good, right? So let's actually get into building that plan. So if you're in the growth stage, so just to remind you, this is everybody under the age of 55. So the most important thing that you need to do, frankly, is just get going. The contribution amounts of 10% absolute minimum in your 401ks or savings plan is the most important here. So for those of you that are in your 20s and 30s, sign up for the 401k. And frankly, that should be the first thing you're asking when you get a new job is about the 401k benefits. And even if the 401k doesn't have a match, sign up anyway. You need to be making contributions into your plan at a minimum of 10%. It doesn't matter that they're only matching six, a minimum of 10%. That is the most important to you. For those of you in the growth stage that say, hey, I can't afford this, you need to really think about this. Anyone can afford to put 10% of their 401k. Just think about how many times you're going to Starbucks, how many times you're going to Dutch Bros, how many times you're going to the movies, how many times you're going to the bar. You can definitely carve out 10% of your pay before you get that paycheck and put it into your plan. No excuses for the growth stage. The most important for you is to put away that 10%. I would also say for the growth stage investors, work hard. You've got the time. If you're under age 55, you still have the opportunity to make a big impact. In a pilot's term, you can't yet see the runway. You're still en route. You can still make some big changes that'll save you some time and really improve the journey along the way. I would absolutely encourage you to work as hard as you can and to continue to try to build on your income and to try to build on your nest egg. The last thing I want to mention for those in the growth stage, take risks. If you're sitting in your mid-40s and you don't like your job, you still have enough time to go out and create one. One of the great things about this country is if you have a skill, you can turn that into a small business and build a small empire. I've had many clients high performers that have really become proficient in one area and have found out, hey, I can do this better if I work on my own, attract the right people. I've got great ideas. I've been executing at this for 20 years. As you know from this program, we love entrepreneurs, and I would tell you to not be afraid of that if you're in the growth stage. Okay, so let's move on to the contribution stage. So this is those of you that are between 55 and retirement. We don't have as much time until retirement, and in a lot of cases, we may have less than 10 years. So just to put this in from a pilot's perspective again, we're not down on the runway, but we're definitely base to final. We can see the runway, and it's getting closer, and we're preparing for landing. At this time, focusing too much on growth can actually be dangerous. The reason that I decided to call this stage in life the contribution stage is it's much more important for you to stay on your path, make very small changes, and to communicate clearly that instead of growth doing the heavy lifting in your portfolio as it does for a lot of the younger investors, contributions and staying at your job are the most important things to consider at this point in your life when you're building your plan. 10% is not enough for you in the contribution stage. 
you should be maxing out your 401k. Now, if you're younger, maxing out your 401k is great. And I know a lot of listeners saying, well, golly, time value money works. And yeah, I understand that. It's important for you to do early as well. From the contribution stage perspective, though, it is absolutely critical. When you're younger, you've got time on your side. You're not making as much money and putting your investments in aggressive or growth focus is more important. It does more of the heavy lifting. When you're in the contribution stage, for those of you that are 55 or more, you don't have the ability to take the risk. One of the biggest mistakes that I see from investors at this stage is saying, well, I've got to catch up, so let me make my investments extremely aggressive. That is 100% wrong and the opposite way to be looking at the situation for you to achieve the financial goals that you're planning at this stage of the plan. You cannot and should not take on more risk than you can assume just because you feel like you're behind. The real way you can make an impact is to make sure that you stay at your job. The time to start a new business for most individuals this late in life has passed just because of the ramp up time that it takes. If you've got 15 or 20 years and you want to work till you're 75, that's completely different. But if you're within that 10 year window and you can see the runway and you're starting to look to put this airplane down and retire within the next 10 years, making a job change that late in life, disrupting your salary, not having a 401k eligibility for a whole year can set you back much longer than you think. Stay at your job, maximize your contributions. And the last thing is begin talking to your wealth advisor about shifting to more of a balanced strategy. A lot can change. When you're within 10 years of retirement, you don't have the ability to go through multiple economic cycles. And a lot of this, if you're in a growth portfolio, a lot of your success in retirement can be completely dependent on where you retire in the economic cycle. Well, guess what, folks? That just could be based on luck. And what we want to do is remove as much luck and the unknowns out of the equation as possible. That's what's going to help you build a successful plan based on those two stages. Now, final, if you're in the income stage, building a plan is pretty easy. What you have to do is identify how much income you need and really some of the drivers that are going to increase your health expenses over the years. Do you have long-term care insurance? How's the health in your family? How's your spouse's health? Do you have the ability to travel? Many more of your variables are certain at this point, and it's a lot easier to plan. Let's move on to the next point, commit. Commit and making habits. This is the action-oriented part of the SMART framework and extremely important. As we said for the growth stage clients under age 55, the 10% contributions are critical. Make them automatic. How do we do that? 401ks, college savings plans, savings. If you can put into a taxable savings account after your 401k and you can invest on a regular basis, it's extremely easy. When you get into the contribution stage, 55 and over, the 401k should have been a foregone conclusion many, many years ago. Making these things a habit turns into looking at the alternatives to investing outside of the 401ks and also staying physically healthy so that you can enjoy your time in retirement for your spouse. If you haven't started with an exercise program early on in your life and maintain that all through your youth up into the growth stage days 55. It's extremely important to get serious about that now. Not only is uh, it important just to stay healthy and your mental health and just being positive and just quality of life, but think about this. It would be a shame if you get into retirement and you're 65, 67, 
and then you're not able to travel because of your health being neglected over a long period of time. So I cannot uh, stress that enough. It's something that we see in our uh, wealth management program here quite a bit. It's extremely important that you focus on your physical health so that you can enjoy the fruits of your labor for a long period of time. One of the final things I want to talk about is planning for threats. In our Achieving Our Goals framework earlier, we talked about uh, preparing for these weaknesses and threats to your plan. This is one of the most important pieces of establishing goals for the 2024 year. You really need to know yourself and be prepared for the inevitable stumbling blocks that are going to occur during the year. Let's talk about this uh, in the different stages and some things that might pop up that you can uh, plan for. Those of you that are in the growth stage, so again, we're talking about those of you that are under age 55 and are really focusing on uh, growth investments and, and innovative ideas and taking risk. What are some of the expenses that can come up or what are some of the unknowns that can uh, really take you off your plan? For some of our younger investors, it could be something as simple as just not having enough money set aside in savings. The air conditioner blows up. The car breaks down. Those are things that you have to plan for and you cannot be caught flat-footed because what happens when you're not prepared for them? You end up pulling money out of the one place that you've been saving it, which is your 401k. That is the worst place to get the money. 401k is not a savings account. You should not take out withdrawals out of a 401k for these types of expenses. So what do you do? Set aside money for these things. So obviously you're going to have to save more than 10%. I usually tell young families, you need to get in the habit or plan for saving 20% of your income. 10% needs to go into future retirement and then try to put an additional 10% into savings. One of the great things that you can do for your family, if you're leading the financial goals portion of your family budget, is you can tell your family, hey, if we don't have these expenses that drain down our savings account by the end of the year, this will be the year that we take that Disney vacation, head out to Turks and Caicos, or do something really fun. And and that gives everybody an incentive for maintenance, and, and it just gets everybody like a good business working in the same direction. And it's really exciting when you achieve those and really gives you a nice reward. Another thing that I really like for investors in the growth stage is when you pay off your car, begin making those payments into an investment account um, and just prepare for that next car purchase. I can tell you personally from our clients here and, and from my own family that one of the most rewarding things that you can do is pay cash for a car. And the only way to get out from under the thumb of the finance companies is for you to have a car that's paid off and to begin making payments into an investment account, preparing for that inevitable purchase that you know is going to happen. The last thing is just saving that 10% of your income in your 401k and not using that for vacations and not using that for you know living and, and lifestyle expenses. That's one of the biggest challenge we have with younger folks in their 20s and 30s. They're so caught up in going on vacations and buying cars and clothes and other things that they don't realize how expensive those costs are. They don't realize that that $10, $10 coffee cup here uh, on the drive-thru in the morning coming in over time pulled 70 to $80 out of their retirement account down the road. It seems so far off, right? So it's something that they really, really don't think about. The threats in the contribution and income stages are very, very different than in the growth stage. It's amazing to me how different they are. I think the first point to consider, which is probably 
pretty well known to everybody listening that's in these stages is your lifestyle has gotten a lot more expensive. There's something we call lifestyle creep in our business here. And over time, as you start trading up to bigger houses and nicer cars, all the expenses start coming along with that. Many of you probably have some very expensive hobbies that you do on a regular basis. I I know that I don't play golf, but I know a lot of individuals that do. Playing golf and, and flying airplanes and riding horses and and uh, going on vacations and trips and the wine country and all those things cost a lot of money. And that's something that you get used to and unfortunately impacts your expenses over time into retirement. So that's something just to be aware of. Those are some of the, the threats that you can prepare for and start making those adjustments now. Start getting rid of those extra hobbies that maybe aren't that exciting to you that do cost a lot of money and start preparing yourself now. Another thing that this stage of life has that the younger stages don't, is you're very visible. Your success is obvious to those around you. You've got family members that see you as successful. And those, unfortunately, that are not as successful don't realize that you get asked by everybody around you for donations, for help from family members. That's something that that is not apparent to those. And I hear consistently from our high performers, they are always being asked for contributions to charitable organizations, help family members to start college plans. Their gift expectations are larger, especially if they have large families. So just something to consider and practice saying no to things that, frankly, you're not interested in supporting. With individuals that are asking you for money, and I'm speaking to a lot of you grandparents out there, Giving money to your adult grandchildren for lifestyle expenses does not help your grandchildren long term. It may tug on your heartstrings and offer you an opportunity to feel good, but it does not help those adult children long term in most cases. Now, obviously, if there's things that come up in the family that are health related, that are critical, that's an entirely different issue. But I've seen time and time again that a lot of those gifts do more damage than they do good. With charitable organizations, as you may have heard on our podcast about charitable giving, it really helps for this group if you just plan your giving ahead of time. If you focus on what's important to you, what makes you cry when you see a movie? What are the causes that you really want to support that you have deep held convictions about? Those are the things that you want to invest your contributions into. What we don't want to do, and and I love the the organizations that set up in front of the Walmart and sell cookies and popcorn, what we don't want to do is we don't want to be caught flat-footed and unprepared with larger dollar amounts making those contributions to organizations that we really didn't think about until we went in to buy light bulbs. So just something to consider as you're thinking about making those uh, charitable contributions at the end of the year. There's one more thing that I'd like to discuss that is affecting the contribution and the income stages that's really new to me and that uh, I was surprised. Um, You know, preparing for doomsday type scenarios has been something that uh, it's always been with us. You know, we we always want to be prepared for any type of civil unrest or for, uh, you know, being out of power for um, a long period of time. But Recently, over the last several years, I've seen this actually become a a uh, material component of our discussion in financial planning. And 
that's all well and good. And if you're concerned about, you know, for example, here in Texas, we did have some pretty rough winters over the last three years. You know, investing in a generator or getting a food and water supply for a certain period of time, I just want to be clear, that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is having um, such a high level of anxiety over these issues where it paralyzes us from continuing a financial plan. I wanted to mention some of the problems that we're seeing now and give you some uh, some solutions to prepare for this. One of the concerns we have with this type of planning is when individuals feel justified to stop saving for their financial future. And I understand that there may be a political party that you don't agree with in the White House. There might be uh, decisions being made by the Supreme Court that are troubling. We may have some concerns over uh, the power grid, or there may be some underinvestment or overinvestment in different forms of energy. The concerns that I have, if that stops you from saving financially for your future, that's a big problem. That's something that that you should definitely be aware of. Also, if it causes your purchases to increase dramatically above what you can afford because of that anxiety, that's also a concern. One other thing that we've noticed in our 401k business here is if you're borrowing from your 401ks because you don't think that the money or what you've saved is going to be available, um, that's also a concern. I definitely would continue putting into the 401k and continuing your savings plan regardless of some of these other uh, anxieties that are floating around out there. And I, I always tell our clients here at Steer Well just to use a rule of thumb. If you think that there's a certain percentage chance probability that something on a large scale would happen and impact your way of life here, I tell our clients to to really verbalize what that percentage is. A lot of them will sit and think about it for a second and tell me, you know, I think there's maybe a a 5% chance or a 2% chance that that could happen. And while it's extremely uh, unsettling, when you consider that even in a worst case scenario that you think there's a 2 or a 5% chance of something like that happening, a real disruption to our financial system, I would uh, advise those clients to put then about 2 to 5% of their assets towards different types of investments that they would feel safe holding in that type of an environment. When you think about it in that way, it really puts things into perspective. Still focus on your future as if uh, the world's going to continue spinning and things are continue going and that you are going to retire and that you are going to need the eight, ten, twelve, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 a month that you had planned on. Before we finish up here, it's important that during 2024, when you're working to achieve your financial goals, finding your flow is extremely important. Let me tell you what I mean about that. When you establish habits and you start doing things on a regular basis, you should start seeing your account grow every month, even if it's just through contributions, seeing how your investments work. It's kind of like getting a runner's high. For those of you that are athletes out there, really when you're in your zone, when you're making a jump shot or you're swinging the baseball bat and you really feel good when that ball hits the bat and you hear that crack and it's just a very satisfying sensation, I would encourage everyone that has any goals, financial or not, to really try to get to that point. So how do you do that? Read more about financial topics. Be involved in the financial process with your advisor. Learn about new investment strategies. I like to give this example. One of the best ways I get young people involved, when parents ask me, hey, I've got this child, they've gotten an insurance settlement, or they saved up a bunch of money, can you help them? I can't get them interested in investing. How do you think we do that? 
We don't sit and talk about time value money and financial strategies and things that'll put them to sleep. We talk to them about the exciting technologies that are out there. We talk to them about electric vehicles, about AI. We talk to them about the VR headsets. We ask them what their favorite technologies are to get them engaged. And then what do you think happens? They end up getting excited and they end up buying what they know. That's extremely important. And that helps individuals get excited about their goals and objectives. And a goal that you're excited about is so much easier to achieve that one that you roll your eyes or you crunch your fist or you grind your teeth or you stay in bed trying to avoid. Find your flow and you'll find success in 2024 with your goals. The last thing I want to mention is get a partner. Accountability is extremely important. Like finding your flow, this affects all the stages of our investors that we've talked about today. Tell someone what your goals are. The easiest thing is to tell your spouse. As I mentioned earlier, my spouse is very, very consistent in telling me what I need to do to achieve my goals when I tell her about those. Close friend, family, your CPA. The easiest would be to tell your wealth advisor. If you're not working with someone and you're in the plan development process, you've got your investment policy, risk tolerance, investments picked out, definitely share with them some of your goals for the financial year. And on those monthly, quarterly, or semi-annual calls, that person should be a good accountability partner to help you achieve those goals and make 2024 an outstanding success. Just to review some of the takeaways from this podcast today that will help you hit your goals in 2024 and make your success a simple and less taxing journey and enable you to meet some of the challenges that you're going to encounter every day. Number one, save a minimum of 10% of your income in retirement accounts and 401ks. This is more for our growth investors. If you're older, save more and max out as much as you can. But for all of our investors, this requires spending less than 90% of what you make. It's easy, folks. If you're going to save 10%, you got to spend less than you earn. Absolutely. Number two, do not take 401k withdrawals until retirement. It's very tempting when you get that money in the 401k and you see that big dollar amount on your statement and you want to buy a new car, go on a vacation, send a child or grandchild to private school. Don't do it. The temptation's there. And don't take 401k loans either. Pay off all your debts before retirement. This is extremely important. Your stress will go down tremendously if your debts are paid off before retirement. You should not retire until your debts are paid off. These last two are more personal and a real hot button of mine. Stop giving your adult children so much money. It's like we talk about in an airplane. If the oxygen masks come down, you've got to take care of yourself first before you put your mask on your child. Otherwise, you're going to pass out and you won't be able to help anyway. The money that you're spending today and giving to your grandchildren may be needed to help you in a long-term care situation in the future. You're not doing your grandchildren any good by giving them the money that you need to use to take care of yourself in long-term care facility or assisted living. And the last one, stay married. I can tell you, if you get a divorce late in life, if you can, I know marriages are tough. They take a lot of effort and hard work, but I cannot tell you the benefits of staying married to the same person for a long time. So, 
Hopefully, this gave you some guidelines about some goal setting and the awesome opportunities that lie ahead in 2024. Remember, success in all areas of life depends on being prepared for the opportunities that will present themselves. Being prepared requires that you make a choice ahead of time to be ready. Let's get ready for a prosperous 2024. This is going to be a year full of opportunity. I just want to say thank you to all of our listeners for taking the time to listen today. If you've enjoyed this episode or learned something new, please take time to rate our podcast and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your preferred podcast platform and never miss an episode. Also, if you know other investors that would enjoy the show, please share the Rudd Commentary podcast through email or on social media. We also like feedback on our program and ideas for future topics. If you have the time, we would enjoy hearing from you. All of us here at Steer Wealth would like to thank you our investors and clients for your trust. Thank you for allowing us to be your partner in your long-term financial journey. We take our role very seriously. Thank you very much for listening today. This is the Rudd Commentary. I'm your host, Josh Rudd. And from all of us here at Steer Wealth, we hope you invest long and prosper in the new year. The Rudd Commentary is distributed for informational purposes only and is not intended to constitute legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Nothing herein constitutes an offer to sell or solicitation for any offer to buy any security. All investment strategies and investments involve risk of loss, including the possible loss of principal invested, and nothing herein should be construed as a guarantee of any specific outcome or profit. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any opinions expressed by employees of the Rudd Company, DBA, Steer Wealth, are opinions and do not reflect the opinions of any affiliates. The opinions expressed by guest speakers are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Steer Wealth or any affiliates. Guest appearances on this program does not imply Steer Wealth's endorsement of any entity, person, product, service, or investment. All opinions are current and only as of the date of recording and are subject to change without notice.